Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Walensky. We're talking about books, about theater, about film, and sometimes about politics. My guest is Kate Mackay, who is the Associate Film Curator since 2016 at BAM PFA, Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive, and she is the curator of kind of a retrospective of four films by the French director Eric Romer. These are in a four-season cycle, which you can find by going to bampfa.org. This festival is playing through July 18th. Are these newly restored versions, or have they been circulating for a while? This set has been made available by Janus Films. They're all recently restored. Before we go into these four films, spring, summer, winter, autumn, and I guess you can watch them in any order, let's go back a little bit about Eric Romer. Now, he was one of the three great French New Wave directors, along with Godard and Truffaut, and like them, got a start in a magazine called Cahiers de Cinema. How did you first hear about him? And at that point, as somebody involved in film, have you watched all or most of his films by this point? I think when I first heard of him, it was just as this major figure in French cinema. And because my focus was really on more experimental cinema at the time that I was first getting interested in cinema. His films didn't sound that interesting to me. Truffaut and Godard are sort of seen as being more formally inventive. And I think their films were, frankly, more accessible. They came across my path. I went to see them. Romer, I had for some reason paid not much attention to you know, his films would turn up in retrospectives or thematic series. And I watched them and enjoyed them, but I didn't really think too much about them till much more recently, I think, when other younger filmmakers began to cite him as an influence. It made me go back to the films and look at them again and really see them with fresh eyes and and really realize how masterful they are. Like a film like My Night with Maud, you know, I saw it years and years ago and I thought it was wonderful, but it didn't really lead me to look at more of his cinema. It sort of, for me, was a sort of a standalone piece. But going back and looking at some of his other films, really in the light of filmmakers like Mia Hansen-Love, who cite him as an influence, has been really interesting. I saw Claire's Knee way, way long ago. And this gave me a chance not only to see these four films, but I also watched My Night at Maud's, which was the film that kind of made him a major director in 1969. 
there's a uniqueness to him that stretches back to the beginning of his career. And I think if you see one of them, you don't quite get it. I mean, I do think all the films can really stand alone. The filmmaking is super strong, very clear. He has his own voice. But I think it's the cliche of auteur cinema that seeing more than one or seeing a set or a cycle of his films can really deepen your appreciation because you see certain themes repeat, you see variations on those themes, and you see new bodies inhabit similar problems. These four films are his four seasons cycle. He also has a a six moral film cycle. He's got another cycle in there. How seriously should we take these so-called cycles? Because it seemed to me, having seen films from three of the cycles, the themes and actually the way he performs his films are so similar that it strikes me why the cycles? I think setting the limitations and the parameters of the cycles allowed him a certain freedom to produce what he wanted to produce. He would set a kind of an an agenda for the future so he could focus on the kind of films that he wanted to make, whereas he didn't want a producer to necessarily pitch to him a policier or some other genre type of film. Setting the cycles allowed him a a special kind of freedom to, to pursue the sort of human questions he was interested in pursuing. The similarities that I saw with the films, one thing is they're all extremely talky. The other thing is outside of the early My Night at Maud's, and there's some of it there too, uh, the other films, these four films plus The Green Ray, place is almost as important. It's like an additional character in these films. And this stretches through all of them that I've seen. Does it stretch through all the ones you've seen as well? Place is key for him. He's a realist director, and he's interested in how cinema can show real life, real emotions, real thought, and human beings living in a world which is a particular world, not an imagined world, but a world grounded in place, in a specific landscape, in specific cityscapes. He's really interested in not just the people, but the environment they inhabit and how they inhabit it. I've I've also read he was an, an environmentalist before it was fashionable to be an environmentalist. And it's interesting because you do really see a respect for the environment and a fascination with the environment. I mean, of course, this cycle that we're looking at now is the seasons. And it's really wonderful how the seasons are a definite character as well as as the place. I notice in reading up that the weather plays a role in the film, but it's not that he is determining the weather. It's that the weather is determining how the film is going to go, which is really unusual. I mean, how do you do that when you're trying to create a scripted film? 
Nestor Almendros, who was his first cinematographer, a great cinematographer, the clarity and transparency of the cinematography in the seasons is highly influenced by Almendros, who shot My Night with Maud. And in an interview with Almendros, he talks about Romer being, <laughs> he almost accuses him of witchcraft, but he says that all Romer's films are so carefully planned down to when he was making Claire's knee, he went and planted roses a year before on the location where he wanted to shoot. So those roses would be blooming when he was going to be shooting the following year. And in My Night with Maud, he, he wanted snow. Snow was part of the script. He planned for a particular time to shoot the film. And everyone was astounded when, as if on cue, it began to snow. And it snowed for an entire day. So they had time to capture the snow. So it seems that whether through luck or planning or witchcraft, that maybe Romer does have some control over the way the weather exists in his films. Kate Mackay, one thing I noticed about these four films, as well as the two earlier ones, is the spontaneity of the dialogue and the fact that, at least in these four films, we don't recognize anybody and yet, at the same time, I read that everything is very carefully scripted and then rehearsed to such a degree that the filming is mm -hmm. just at the end. Very few takes. A very efficient filmmaker, but it, it really is what a friend of mine likes to say is planned spontaneity. Spontaneity is not always going to give you the, res the results you need unless you're prepared for it. And I think his meticulous preparation and exhaustive rehearsals allow for a spontaneity when the camera is on. So he doesn't just turn it on and shoot endlessly and then pick the best take. Often he's just shooting maybe one take because everything is so well rehearsed. I think that that's also what makes the films feel so intimate and so light and so unfussy, unmannered in a way. Even though they're very dialogue heavy, there is an immediacy to them that's, that's really remarkable. In terms of the filming... I know that for the Green Ray, he decided to use as few cameras as possible to try to kind of film it surreptitiously so that others would not know, like guerrilla filmmaking, so that the people around them wouldn't know it. Did he follow that, say, in, well, Tale of Springtime is mostly in specific set-type places, but in the others, did he use that same process kind of like sneak the camera in when people weren't looking? Definitely. I was just reading an interview with his editor, Mary Stephen, and she talks about how in A Tale of Summer, even though they're out on a beach with a dolly doing dolly shots, they just had sort of one sound man and one camera person, and they didn't have like six 
big tractor trailer trucks and all this equipment. He really is a true indie filmmaker. And so the people that you see in the background in the Tale of Summer are not extras playing beachgoers. Those are actual beachgoers and paying no attention to the camera because it didn't seem like a big deal. It didn't seem very special. And Mary Stephen also talks about, I'm forgetting what shoot it was for, but she is sort of a French Franco-Canadian filmmaker and editor. And she talks about Eric Romer handing out her Canadian business cards and saying, you know, to passers-by that they were just shooting a documentary for Canadian educational TV. So no one would be necessarily interested in the shoot because it seemed not like a big deal. Romer was, you know, he's notoriously secretive and he didn't like to go to film festivals. I think there's some story of him going to the New York Film Festival and wearing a fake mustache because he really valued his anonymity and the fact that he could have shoots on the streets and nobody would know that he was Eric Romer, so he wouldn't be interrupted or distracted from the filmmaking. The only time I noticed something different, but it was okay, there's a sequence in The Green Ray where four people are sitting on a bench and they're discussing Jules Verne. They're seated in such a way so that you see passerby's heads as they walk past. And two of the people walked past and gave a really <laughs> weird look in the direction of the camera. And I thought, okay, there are two possibilities. One is Romer has them listening into this interesting conversation. And the other is they're looking at the camera. But that's the only time I saw it. I don't recall seeing it all in any of the other films. Again, only Summer Tale is the only one which takes place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. around a lot of other people. Kate McKay, let's zero in on these four films. Now, they're all very, very talky, but the talk is about philosophy, particularly in A Tale of Springtime, and the philosophy kind of harkens back to My Night at Maud's, and also in A Winter Tale, which deals with issues of predetermination. And that again goes back. And all of his films are about love and relationships. Philosophy, mathematics, love and relationships, they keep popping up in different ways in all of these films. And that was a preoccupation of his, right? He was a philosophy teacher, and he taught mathematics as well, but definitely mathematics as it relates to philosophy. He was a late bloomer as far as filmmaking goes. He didn't really start filmmaking till he was in his 40s. And he'd already been a writer and a teacher. These experiences loom large in his filmmaking. And I think what, for me, the center of his films is, and, and specifically these four films, is the kind of meeting and tension between emotion and reason. So his characters are all very knowledgeable and thoughtful and reasonable. They think about life reasonably, but then emotion and desire and longing are kind of at odds with 
their ability to understand. I mean, it's this is the human condition. We we think we understand ourselves. We are self-knowing creatures, but we are often undermined by our own emotions, even when we don't know it. I mean, Romer's characters are fascinating because they say one thing, but then they contradict themselves. They say one thing, they do another. They're impetuous. They think they want something, then they change their mind. You know, like Felicity in in A Tale of Winter, she's determined to make a choice and change her life and go and live with Maxence, but then she realizes that maybe that choice was a false choice. It wasn't being true to herself, but she didn't know what herself was at the time that she made the choice. He does really, really subtle explorations of all the permutations and combinations of reason and emotion. It's interesting that you mention the character in Winter's Tale because Gaspard in Summer Tale has to make those same kind of choices. And I forgot her name, the character in Autumn Tale, her goal is to avoid (laughs) making any choices. But I think what separates the first of them, uh, Tale of Springtime, is that the lead character in that is probably the least frustrating of the lead characters, though her young (laughs) friend is probably the most. Yeah, definitely Jean. She's an appealing, very calm, very rational character, but she's interesting because although she seems very clear and self-knowing, her actions, the fact that she chooses to, you know, befriend Natasha, who seems like, I mean, it seems like run away from this woman. Why would this rational philosophy teacher befriend this sort of distraught teenager. There's a mystery there. And and you see that Jean, despite all her self-knowing, she's also sort of on a path of self-discovery. In a summer tale, Gaspard has this crush on this woman, Lena. Eventually, we meet Lena. And as with all of the characters I've noticed in these films, before we meet the character, We've already learned who they are from one person's perspective, and that perspective is always right. They they are exactly who they say they are. But Gaspard understands that Lena is not for him, that she doesn't love him, and he wonders if he doesn't love her, and yet he's a puppy dog, and she treats him like crap. You get frustrated, but at the same time, I found... You fall in love with all of his characters, which is astonishing. Yeah, to me. I mean, I don't know if I fall in love with all of his characters because sometimes they are just so frustrating, but they feel real. Like they all feel a little bit like someone you know or could know, someone who might be a friend or a friend of a friend, or even you see little bits of yourself in them because they're basically dealing with real human problems. Autumn Tale reminded me a lot of Woody Allen films from the 90s. It had the same kind of humor. And I wonder, was Romer influenced by Allen or was Allen influenced by Romer? Allen was definitely influenced by Romer. I do not think the reverse was true. 
Woody Allen appreciated European cinema and Romer was a big influence on him, I would say. Which of the four films do you like the best and why? I don't know. I really like them all. I have favorites in one moment of watching, but then I go back and think, oh, well, this is my least favorite one. But when I rewatch it, it might become my most favorite. At first, I thought The Tale of Summer was my favorite because it just, to me, really felt like that in-between space that Gaspar is inhabiting. And especially the fact that nothing seems to happen right away. He's sort of wandering around listlessly, kind of waiting for this girl to show up before he meets Margot, with whom he strikes up a great friendship. The repetitions of being on vacation, but sort of being limited by that vacation rang really, really true. But then when you look at Tale of Winter, it's such a marvelous, magical story. I mean, the films really actually do benefit from rewatching. Sometimes his characters and the beauty of his films are a little bit hidden behind the language and the words. It really helps to watch them more than once. You know, Mary Stephen, his editor, says, I think in the film note, I quote her talking about how there's really no extra, there's no fat. In a Romer film, like everything is so significant and they just sort of whiz by super quickly without feeling relentless. They're all super fascinating to me. I also think in A Tale of Springtime and Autumn's Tale, the intensity of the female friendships in those films is really interesting. These are sort of platonic love affairs between women that are very special and very true. They ring really true. Like when you meet a new friend and you're sort of very excited about them and want to share everything all at once and you know, are just inspired by that meeting. So you see that with Rosine, the girlfriend of Magali's son. And you see Rosine is more in love with Magali than she is with her boyfriend. That relationship is fascinating. And also the fact that Isabel would go to such lengths to find a partner for Magali. It's an interesting dynamic in their friendship. The theme of female friendship in the way it's developed in A Tale of Springtime between Jean and Natasha and in Tale of Autumn, I find fascinating. Mentioning Woody Allen again, the difference is there's a subtlety here, and he's never playing any of it for laughs. Yet these are sort of comedies? Yeah, I mean, I think they're absolutely comedies, but more sophisticated sense than sort of that ham-fistedness that you might see in Woody Allen. I don't think I laughed the first time I watched The Tale of Springtime, but the second time I watched it, I just thought it was hilarious. Did was finding them quite funny. The girlfriend of character in Tale of Springtime is such a pill, but so hilarious. Well, well the one that got me laughing was the interview between the bookseller and the prospective mm -hmm. boyfriend in Autumn Tale. This goes on through all of these films, but again, the moment, and maybe this is the same with you, is the moment your attention flags on the dialogue, because there's so much of it, you just look around and suddenly you're in a place 
that you've never been before and you've never been seen on screen before. And that's very true of Brittany. It's true of Nevers. While nothing is going on as plot, everything is going on, only it's sort of so subtle you have to look for it. In reading about Romer, several people talk about him as an ethnographer, which is really, really interesting. You look at the tale of Summer, and I think some of the things that originally made it my favorite film were there's that whole ethnographic sequence where Gaspar goes with Margot to visit one of the subjects of her research, who's this mariner who sings this sea shanty. He's basically singing these sea shanties. The movie just transitions seamlessly into this wonderful documentary conversation with this remarkable character. That kind of authenticity, I think, runs through all his films. Like, I think he really has this ethnographic eye. His talent is for observation. And I think that's why the female relationships in his films ring so true. I think this is another thing Mary Stevens says is that somebody asks her, well, how can this old man be so good at representing female relationships? And she says, well, it's because his crew, all the women he's working with, his editor, his cinematographer, his producer, he's around all these women who are having all these problems and issues and experiences. And he's clearly observing these experiences with a very generous eye and translating them, reflecting them back on the screen for us to see. Somebody else wrote that it's a cinema of generosity, carefully observing the world non-judgmentally, because often in cinema, you're told how to feel by some ostentatious soundtrack, which oozes affect. But he strips away all that. So you're kind of left on your own to make of the situations what you will. You mentioned his scripts. Did he have collaborators? Did he work alone? I think all the writing, at least in the seasons, is his. I know that in rehearsals, he really worked with the actors so that the dialogue sounded like it was in their voice. I'd also mentioned, I think, in Wikipedia that he used young people and was asked about that, even though he was in his 70s and 80s. And he said, young people are natural and older actors are not. The Eric Romer that made The Tales of the Four Seasons seems younger than the Eric Romer that made his early films in a way. I also find that fascinating. He seems to inhabit this youthful headspace in his 70s. When he made the seasons, they were all made in the 1990s. He was in his 70s when he was making those films. And it's amazing to me how youthful they seem. That was just his personality. I read that when people met him, they were amazed at how youthful he was, even in his 80s. 
And somebody wrote that when A Tale of Summer came out, when young people went to see it, they could not believe it was made by this old master because it felt like it was some some new young director. Kate Mackay, BAM PFA. At what point did they shut the theater down? And I know they shut the museum. And at what point did you folks begin looking at online? Do you remember? I guess it was like March... 14th, 2020, we had one last screening and then, yeah, and then we were basically shut out. And it took us a while to unravel all of the programming that we had developed for the next few months, because of course we were programming months out. It took us a while to cancel everything before we ended up starting to offer virtual cinema. And I think that was maybe in May of 2020, but I actually cannot remember. It's kind of a blur. (laughs) The galleries are now open at BAM PFA, so you can go and see the exhibitions that are in the galleries, but it will be a while before. We, We just want to make sure that it's absolutely safe before people come back into the cinema you know, that we'll be able to staff things safely and have a, you know, the best possible program when we return, hopefully in the fall. Did the Black Lives Matter movement that took off in June 2020, did that change anything at BAM PFA? Were you pretty much on top of African-American culture in film at the time? In a way, it didn't really affect Our programming, because our programming is already, for lack of a better word, very diverse, but I think it did create the impetus to reflect on the working culture at BAM PFA to try and make sure that there was room for maybe voices that we were ignoring or that were not being heard. It all happened around the time we were getting a new director at BAM PFA as well. So for BAM PFA, as for many institutions, it was the opportunity for institutional soul searching and trying to make sure that our work culture was as progressive and reflective all the communities we want to serve as could be possible. Kate Mackay, you started out, as you said, focusing on experimental and uh, independent cinema in Toronto, and then you came to BAM PFA. From your perspective, was it easy to move into a more traditional environment, or was that very difficult for you? BAM PFA is, as far as I'm concerned, and this is from my perspective coming from away coming from Toronto is it's a treasure it's a jewel it's a treasure of international cinema I had been studying the the programs from afar before I came the legacy of Edith Kramer and Tom Luddy and Kathy Garretts who's still there and who I get to work with every day and Susan the history of the programming here is so fantastic that it was like coming, stepping into a dream to be able to engage with such a broad range of cinema. So to be able to be working on 
you know, Marlon Riggs one day and Eric Romer the next. One of the things I'm excited about now is I'm working with the Oakland Theatre Project presenting these Kathleen Collins plays and talking about somebody who was influenced by Eric Romer, Kathleen Collins, whose film Losing Ground will be streaming in collaboration with the Oakland Theatre Project and our Black Life program, was an African-American director who was very influenced by Eric Romer. She was a philosophy teacher and a writer, went to Paris to study at the Sorbonne and discovered cinema, discovered the cinema of Eric Romer, and came back and made this fabulous film, Losing Ground, in 1982. So it predates the Romer films we're showing. But when you watch it, you can, especially watching it alongside the Eric Romer, you really see his influence. And it's fascinating to see somebody else inhabit these same issues from a Black perspective in 1982. So I encourage anyone who loves the Eric Romer series to check out Losing Ground on our website. And maybe the Oakland Theatre Project are presenting a drive-in presentation of her plays, which have never been produced before. This is the first time. She died very young. Sadly, her work was not appreciated in her lifetime, but it's beginning to be appreciated now. It runs through July 3rd. So we'll be streaming Kathleen Collins' Losing Ground over the same period that the Oakland Theatre Project is showing Kathleen Collins' quartet of one-act plays. Kate Mackay, I've noticed in talking to artistic directors of various theatres that even though theaters closed down and live theater ended just as at BAM PFA, you couldn't get an audience together to see films, which is a completely different environment than even watching them on big screens at home, that streaming brought people into the fold from all over the country and even all over the world. Have you found that at BAM PFA? We're getting viewership from far-flung places, and it's also provided the opportunity to do some programming that we might not otherwise have been able to do or might not have otherwise thought of doing. A series of Brazilian films included a couple of conversations with this amazing Brazilian filmmaker, Andre Noves Oliveira. Those conversations we did over Zoom and you know, they, they were recorded and they're on our website. This is a filmmaker who we might not have had the wherewithal to invite to the theater. So we might not have had these conversations or thought of having them without being limited to Zoom. So in a way, the limitations of being online opened up the possibility for these remote conversations that we might not otherwise have had, and which I hope will continue even if we can't afford to bring a director to the Osher Theatre, which is obviously what we love to do, is to have directors in person to show their work and to talk about their work. But when we're not able to do that, I feel that it's also wonderful to have these, you know, conversations remotely. You know, we do have telephones and computers, so it's not like it's impossible to talk to somebody just because there in Brazil. Are you planning to continue streaming festivals even when the theater reopens? 
it's still under discussion. Our focus and our collective expertise is really in showing films in the context of our Barbara Osher Theatre. That being said, I think what we've learned is that there is value in also being able to stream titles. Of course, the great majority of what we would normally be showing in the Barbara Osher Theatre is not available for streaming. So, you know, much of the programming that we had laid out for spring and summer of 2020 was just impossible to stream because of rights issues and distributors and filmmakers or things that only exist in 35 millimeter prints. There are still films that only exist in that format from archives that we would be showing. That being said, I do think that we have learned that there is definitely a value in offering some programs online and it does, you know, offer more accessibility for people that can't access the theater for a variety of reasons. I think it's really important to be able to offer things online. So I think finding a balance of what we can do in theater and online, maybe what programs will benefit from having an online component what that might be. Maybe some films lend themselves to being online more than they do to being in the cinema. So these are all things we're discussing as we move towards reopening, but I don't have any absolute answers yet. Kate McKay, okay, you're working on this project. You're working on the that Oakland project. How many projects are you working on as the associate curator? It's very different in the COVID era because I'm also working a lot to find new releases that we wouldn't, we're showing more new releases in this era than we would normally show in the theater where we're kind of weighted towards retrospective programming, thematic programming and historical programming, as well as a few new releases. Right now I'm working on trying to find and finding interesting new releases that we can get rights to to show in our theater. And then moving in the normal world, I'm usually working on, you know, maybe two or three, maybe different film series of different sizes, you know, at one time, and then like working into the future. So when I'm presenting one, one film series, I'll be working on a a couple more for the future. In our usual programming, we were showing maybe between 460 and 500 programs in the Barbara Osher Theater per year. That's sort of divided between the three film curators who are all doing a bunch of different series. So, I mean, I just had a great conversation about this new film. Tell them we were here about the Bay Area art world and what makes it special. It's a brand new release that only BAM PFA is showing. And I, we had a wonderful conversation with the directors, Griffin Keelan Williams and, and our director, Julie Rodriguez Widholm, was in conversation with them about their film. So that was, you know, exciting. And then I have a couple of upcoming new releases that will be coming up in August. And also, I'm hoping it will happen. I'm hope we're hoping that we'll be able to show a few films on our outdoor screen this summer. So I'm working on that program now. 
Fingers crossed. You've been listening to an interview with Kate Mackay, who is the associate film curator at BAM PFA, and she's curating the four-film cycle, the four seasons by Eric Bromer, and you can find that online at BAM PFA. You go to bampfa.org. Also, uh, Romer's Six Moral Tales, I believe all six, are currently available if you go to the Criterion app. So there's a lot of Romer out there if you want to see more than just these four films. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com and feel free to search out other interviews at bookwaves.com or on the kpfa.org website. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.